Ahoy hoy, you delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and this is Everybody Trades. And you know what? If this is your first time at Everybody Trades, welcome. And most importantly, for this episode's purposes, if you have not yet listened to the previous episode entitled Individual Rights, Collective Lives, well, I would highly recommend that you listen to that one now before you listen to this one. Because this is going to be part two of that particular theme. Because honestly, I didn't get to everything I meant to in the previous episode. So let's clean up those loose ends right now, shall we? Now my main point, just to summarize quickly in the previous episode, is that while I'm a firm believer in individual rights, specifically that we all own ourselves. You begin with that. We all own ourselves, and the fruits of our labor, our property, if you will. Well, once you start there, the irony is, even if you believe in individualism, from there, a tremendous amount of trade, of collectivity, of people working together begins to emerge. And what makes that quite obvious is in even the most capitalist countries on the planet, of which America is certainly one of them, yes, you'll find that just about everything that you purchase or consume has been put together, shipped, etc. by other human beings. So even if you are the most individualistic person on the planet, you're going to have to rely on other human beings for much of your life in 2019. Now in the business world, this manifests itself quite clearly in the old saw that the customer is always right. And essentially what that means is that we as producers, if you're a small business owner, for for instance, well, that means you're a producer. Well, what are you producing? Could be all kinds of things. Could be shoes, could be dance lessons, could be anything. It could be a podcast, for instance. Just about anything you could imagine. Well, you're a producer. But all of us, literally every single person on this planet is also a consumer. We have to literally consume something, if not every day, virtually every day, in order to survive. So what that actually means is, despite whatever types of anti-business, anti-capitalist sort of propaganda that you've heard, in fact, it is the producers, the capital holders, the business owners, they are the ones that are at the mercy of the consumers. In other words, again, the customer is always right. Now, here's an example of the customer being right and a giant corporation being wrong. Remember New Pepsi, for instance, New Coke. There have been various types of new products that giant corporations have come out with. They've put massive amounts of dollars into them, and frankly, it just never worked. We can all think of movies that have been gigantic bombs at the box office, right? And then on the other hand, you've got a film like Blair Witch Project that costs $60,000 or something and ends up making $200 million. Well, the point is, if we could all predict these sorts of things ahead of time, it would be easy, wouldn't it? You know, and here's the deal. A lot of times consumers, in fact, most of the time, when innovation happens, when new products happen, well, the consumer... A lot of them haven't even imagined that this is a thing that they've wanted 
until they actually see it in front of their face. The bottom line is, is producers, again, are at the mercy of consumers. For better or worse, that's the reality of the situation. They're either going to get rich by giving consumers what they want, by providing them a product or a service that they need and or want, or they'll fail by failing to do those exact same things. If they fail to give the consumer a product or a service and here's the other important part, at a price point that they are willing to pay in a fairly large number, well, then you're going to fail. And notice another difference between how the free market works, how a free producer works, versus how the government collective works, the government-forced, mandated collective works. See, while in the free market, if you're a business owner, you need to attract a significant amount of consumers more than likely unless you're in a unless you're making yachts or something but that that's a very small subsect of any sort of economy the luxury goods sort of gigantic small niche manufacturing whatever it is but for the most part you're going to need to please a decent amount of people collectively that's just all there is to it whereas the government they try to force Everybody, literally every single person in the country, for instance, into, again, I've brought it up many times, Social Security. Well, again, in the free market, you have options. You have options of buying, say, a Ford, a Tesla, a GM, whatever it might be. And then here's the, here's the real point I'm trying to get to. You have the option of abstaining. You can abstain from purchasing a vehicle. You can walk, you can take the bus, you can take your skateboard, your bicycle, whatever it might be. Well, that isn't how government works. You see, government, they're going to try to make a plan for everybody, and they're going to force everybody into one plan. Well, if we ever tried to do this in society in a free, business-oriented way, people would be angry immediately. Yeah, sure, most people, most soda drinkers may prefer Coke to Pepsi, but guess what? There's still a significant chunk of the soda-consuming population that prefers Pepsi. Why can't we all have the soda we want? And in fact, I'm a non-soda drinker, so I don't drink any soda, and that's my choice as well. Shouldn't we want Coke and Pepsi competing for the non-soda drinker? Now, I realize I've now gotten into a health thing because I brought up soda, but just imagine just any product, no matter what the product is. Heck, if it's health insurance, if it's, again, retirement, getting to Social Security, shouldn't we want a whole bunch of individuals who are selling retirement plans, you know, selling their expertise, their financial wherewithal, shouldn't we want them competing in a world where they're trying to constantly create Better, better advice, lower fees, lower costs. You see, that's the nature of the free individuals competing against each other is it brings out not only lower prices but better products as well. Well, again, take Social Security where we've had the same product for going on 90 years now or something like that since the 1930s. How's that working out for us so far? Now, the other thing to keep in mind here is that while I'm criticizing 
the collective forced decision making of the centralized authority, the government, if you will, that doesn't mean that the consumer is always perfect or rational by any stretch of the imagination. And again, get back to soda. Well, in my mind, again, as the non-soda drinker, I'm the type of person that thinks, well, gee, why does anybody drink soda? seems like soda is horrible for you. It seems like all soda is to me is just a delivery vehicle for corn syrup. That's basically all that it is. It's this thing that injects corn syrup into your body more easily. Well, that sounds like an awesome thing to put into your body, doesn't it? But again, millions and millions of people throughout this country, throughout this world, have made the choice, quite irrationally in my mind, but in their mind it's perfectly rational. Okay? What does that get to? Well, it gets to the fact that everybody has subjective values, right? And again, the point is not to say that everybody's subjective values are equal or that they're all correct or rational or even right, wrong, judgment, anything. We can all make judgments about people's values, the sort of ideas that they have, their opinions, those types of things. That's our own subjective values as well. But the point is, is regardless of what we think about their subjective values, the reality is, is they are what they are, and those values make direct impacts on people's purchasing decisions. So in other words, if I'm in the restaurant business, and I really wish that people would stop drinking soda, well and I decide I'm not going to serve soda, that's going to cost me some business. There are going to be some consumers, some customers, some potential customers who are not going to go in to my restaurant now. That's going to cost me money. And again, in your mind, you might be going, what the hell? Why are you? I'm I'm just trying to help you guys with your health. This may be, you know, maybe you're Michael Bloomberg and you're going, hey, what the heck? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get you guys to consume fewer calories, fewer sugar, all that good stuff. Not a crazy idea on the surface, but here's the deal. Again, I believe in the individual. I believe that it's your body and your choice, so therefore it should be your choice to consume a massive soda if you want, whether I think that's a good idea or not. And one thing about people's subjective values, whether on an individual level or sort of a bigger macro societal level is, well, they change throughout time, don't they? Certainly the values of Americans 20, 30, 40, 100 years ago have changed a lot in a larger collective sense. And that shouldn't be a surprise, right? Because the one permanence of our lives is change. Nothing ever stays the same forever. So with all that in mind, I'm starting to realize that I have to change as well. I have to change my mentality about investing, about stocks, and about what types of investments that maybe used to work that perhaps do not work as well anymore in 2019 heading into 2020. Now, as I've mentioned before on this show, I'm a fairly young guy for somebody who has been trading stocks heavily, oh gosh, for about 14 years now, something like that. I'm only 36 years old, so that makes me fairly young for a stock investor. 
But but I am old. Again, everything's relative, right? For a millennial, I'm old. I'm an older millennial at 36 years old. And what that tells you at 36, if that's an older version of a millennial, all the way up to like ah, 38, something like that, I guess technically is the cutoff, somewhere in that ballpark. But what that should tell you is that if millennials are now getting into their mid-late 30s, that should tell you that they're starting to manage money as well. So here's another deal. If human beings are the ones who are always buying and selling stocks, and if you're saying, oh, well, there's, there's algorithms that buy and sell stocks. Okay, who makes the algorithms? Yes, that's right, human beings. So what we have is every single decision in the stock market is made on the basis of people's subjective values. And obviously, the more volume, the more amounts of shares that you trade, the bigger impact, the bigger effect that you're going to have on that stock's price in any given moment. That's just simple supply and demand. So therefore, obviously, the money managers of the world, the people who buy stock for mutual funds, for instance, well, those are the people who are ultimately going to move the market. Their subjective values are going to be more important, quite honestly, because they're literally moving more money around. They have more capital, so therefore they have a bigger influence on what happens in the stock market. So what, what's changed? Well, obviously when an older generation is retiring, people in their 60s, 70s, from that generation, they were born in the 50s, 40s, that kind of deal. The baby boomers, essentially, those money managers are starting to retire, get out of the business. And replacing them, younger millennials. Naturally, this is, an, this is a process that's always ongoing. So what happens is, now that those boomers are leaving the market, well, they take their subjective values out of the market and they take it with them. Whereas these new millennial money managers, well, they come in, now that they're managing the funds, guess what? They bring their subjective values with them. So what that tells you is, here's a great example. And the reason I really thought about this is think about BP, British Petroleum. Now, we all remember about 10 years ago that BP had that massive oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Well, I've happened to own BP, British Petroleum, for about a year now, I'd say, and I've been a little bit confused as to why that stock hasn't performed as well as I would have expected. Because when you really dig into the numbers, BP's doing well. But unfortunately, I bought the stock at $41 on average, and it's trading at about 37 as we speak. So I'm down about 10% on that investment. Now, the good news is BP yields about 5% a year on a dividend. So really, I'm down about half that. Not exactly a huge loser or anything. It could come back, get to 41. I'm not complaining or anything. My point is, is there's a disconnect, in my opinion, between the numbers and what you would traditionally think British Petroleum would be doing in a previous era. But now we're living in an era where, again, we have more and more millennial money managers and just more and more people in general, even if they're slightly older than millennials, who have subjective values that say it's not just profit, 
and growth that actually matter to us anymore. No, we're believers that social issues matter. You see, millennial money managers are big on the idea of shareholders as stakeholders. Again, in other words, it's not just about making money anymore to these people. It's not just about, hey, I don't want to just own corporations that are going to make the numbers and look great on a balance sheet. No, these people want to feel good and feel as if they're doing good for the planet when they buy these companies. And again, the point is, is regardless of what you think about that, if you think that's wildly naive, if you think it's counterproductive, or maybe you think that's really admirable, and in fact, a a direction that we as a society should be going, regardless of your subjective values, again, we're talking about an individual here, your values, my values, regardless of what ours are, the reality is, is more and more people are buying into this notion of shareholders as stakeholders, for instance. So a company like British Petroleum, if you're a millennial type that believes that fossil fuels are essentially warming and destroying the planet, well, you're not going to buy BP, no matter how good their numbers look. That's just the bottom line of the thing. Again, my point here is just to not only help you hopefully give a little bit better of an idea about how the stock market really works. So you got to get into the psychology of the people who the mutual fund type managers, the hedge fund type managers who buy the most amount of capital, the most amount of stock. You have to get into inside their brains and figure out what they're thinking because that's how you make money in the stock market. You buy something Obviously, you buy low and you sell high, but the idea there is got to figure something out before other people figure it out. You have to figure out their mentality, something that's going to appeal to their mentality before they've even realized it. And again, just to emphasize, in this country to a large extent, and I totally support this, we have individual rights. We have the right to, in many ways, do what we want when we want, how we want, to a large extent. Not, it's definitely not perfect. It's definitely not 100%. Not even close. But relatively compared to the rest of the world, yeah, America's doing pretty well in terms of individual rights. But again, the irony there, the more individual rights you have, the more free your economy is, the more collective our lives become, the more reliant you become on other people. See, you may be totally reliant on only yourself and your family like Robinson Crusoe was back in the day. But then he found Friday. And while at first he tried to enslave Friday, that didn't work out very well. But eventually, he started trading with Friday and both their lives got better. Well, that's what we as a society have to keep doing. And you know what? Whether Robinson Crusoe and Friday, they had to come to an agreement. They had to haggle. They had to come to an agreement based on their own mutually agreeable subjective values. See, they didn't have to have everything in common. They just needed to have enough in common to trade with each other in order to improve their own lives based on their own subjective reasoning. So again, just to emphasize, no matter how much of an individualist you are, you are not alone on this planet. And in fact, that's actually a good thing because other people collectively have helped make my life 
your life, all of our lives, so much better. It's really kind of remarkable. It's truly astonishing how much better humans have been able to improve their own lives in the last couple centuries. Uh, it's, it's nothing short of a miracle, really. And frankly, it's the miracle of free trade and individual rights. And again, ironically, that allows us to collectively do more than we ever could before. So with all that being said, I'm going to get out of here. This millennial is going to maybe go drink a craft beer or something. How about that? So until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Everybody Trades.